Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start, if you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Car Chat Podcast. I'm Sam Moores, and with me today, I have Mark Harrison. Hello. Hi, Sam. You are right? Yeah, good. Can you tell the audience a little bit about sort of who you are, what you do? Yeah, well, I'm not famous like a lot of your guests, but um, I guess maybe I'm interesting because I've, I've been in the car business for, I guess, 25 years now, um, mainly in PR, but um, in the last few years, more in the sort of commercial side of things. So I've worked, I'm now at Praga, but I've worked at Oh, places like Rimac and Pininfarina in recent years, before that McLaren, before that BMW and Mini in places. So I've, I've been around the block, but mainly premium and luxury end of the business. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, so that's... How, how did this journey start? Was Did you always want to work in cars? What did you do sort of... How did this work? This well, pan out? It's what, I guess what's interesting about that is as, as we speak... Um, Praga is leading the truck category of the Dakar at the moment. And um, oh, really? the, 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 the reason to mention that is I, I actually got into the car business through working on the Camel Trophy um, back in the mid-90s. And um, Camel Trophy, yeah. I guess, was sort of Land Rover's attempt at the Dakar back in the day. Um, yeah. And I, I, was, I was actually a landscape architect. Um, but... Oh, right. um, I was freelance and, and a friend, we were in a pub one night in Fulham and, and she just needed people to go and help in what was called a press office in Central yeah. America in um, Camel Trophy 1995. Um, I thought I quite like the idea of eight weeks in the jungle and in Belize and Central America. I've got no idea what a press office is, but um, yeah. it was explained <laughs> to me and it sounded very easy. It was just looking after a few journalists um yeah. and uh yeah so i went out on that and that that was with um tony jardine's pr agency jardine pr so uh, you know a lot of your 
your listeners and viewers will know Tony from, I guess, yeah. good Festival Speed Rally section. You know, he's the commentator there in Formula One and things. And so on, on the way back from that, Tony just basically said, if, if you ever want a job, just pick up the phone. And then um, I guess it was about six months later, I got a call from him. I like, my, I like football as well as cars. And um, they just won Honda's um sponsorship it shows how long ago it was honda was sponsoring manchester united and um they just right. won the account to to uh to run that that sponsorship so i got a call to say would i like to go and join them and help on honda and manchester united so um so yeah so went over to over to um working into automotive pr in i guess that was mm. actually it was a bit later it was sort of 97 um so yeah and then never looked back i just i just i love working in the business it's just fascinating, but such it's a it's a small world as well. I mean, particularly in the the area of the industry I work in now. But even the normal automotive yeah. business, it's such a small world, and it's just it's just full of great people. And um, I've had a ball since then. So yeah, never look back. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's, it sounds it sounds like a good space to be in. Um, so what what sort of things were you doing when you started out, or preparing like press releases and things like that, or? Yeah, well, Coming up with ideas, I, yeah, of well, marketing I mean, things specifically. I mean, I guess what I really did when I started out was in the jungle. Was it was it was going out and finding stories of each each of the cars that were, was competing had a t you know a nationality, but like the yeah. um, World Cup of off roading, and um, you you just have runners and a group of people trying to find the stories that you could send back to the the markets. Um, what I didn't quite work out was that you had competitors from every single part of the world. So Japan, Russia, Ireland, North America, um, and back round again. So it literally was 24 seven because the, the markets were, always, this was, you know, way, way before WhatsApp or, or emails. <laughs> so there was basically faxing stories to journalists, um, when they were awake. So okay, it was yeah. 24. So, so I guess that was probably what, how I cut my teeth in, in, the nitty gritty of PR really trying to find stories and, and keep journalists busy and happy. So, um, uh, and then at, at Jardines, it was, uh, yeah, looking at the football sponsorship. Um, so that, that gave a bit of a broader insight into how, you know, a, a massive football club like Man United could leverage work with Honda and, um, uh, and I got to watch a lot of football. So that then followed over to, nice. I moved to, I moved to Ford at a time where Ford was the champions league sponsor. And, um, uh, some of your viewers and listeners will know some of the people at Ford. There's some legendary names there, but um, I was really the only person in the press office that was into football. So I got to host loads of the <laughs> nice. Champions League matches with journalists. So yeah, I've, I've been quite lucky, really. In, in um, nice. really, I guess how much time I've spent in those early days in social, semi sort of social environments with with journalists, and um, uh, that sort of gave me a good basis, really, for my PR career in automotive. Yeah, well, you, you sort of hear, I, I hear stories from sort of back in the day. Yeah. Back in the yeah. days, not, <laughs> not right now, of, of sort of budgets to do things with journalists that you just can't, you yeah. sort of can't yeah. necessarily yeah. get away with yeah. now. Did you do any particular fun things with journalists that you'd go, I'm not really sure how this has worked, but yeah, it is. On the record? <laughs> um, <laughs> you don't work for these companies anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a long um, time ago. It was. I mean, it it is a cliche, but people of my generation from the industry do do shake their heads and reminisce about the good old days of of 
big budgets. I mean, but the, the nice thing is we had, you know, I moved from Ford to BMW and both companies, yes, we had good budgets to do things properly, but we used them properly. It wasn't just mm. here's millions of pounds to to spend and just enjoy yourself. So, I mean, a couple of good examples. Ford, um, we, we launched the Ford Racing Puma over in California. Um, I can't remember which racetrack. Um, and, uh, you know, we flew British journalists over to California. Uh, principally, the, you know, the Ford Racing Puma was a fantastic little car, so it was great to launch it on a racetrack. But the, the reason to do that was because Ford had launched the Puma in the UK. I don't know if you've ever seen this or you remember it, but with um, they took uh, the Steve McQueen shots of him in Bullet um, and then cut them into a Ford Puma. I mean, I think at the time it was quite revolutionary. So you had Steve McQueen driving a <laughs> Ford Puma around the streets of San Francisco. So we sort of built on that nice. and said, well, let's go over to California. So to launch that car, which, you know, you don't need to launch a Ford racing Puma um, yeah. in California, but um, it just, it just adds, adds relevance to what you're doing. And uh, also when we launched the Ford Ranger pickup, that was the sort of relaunch of the Ranger pickup. Um, we uh, we we drove from Brentwood Ford's headquarters all the way down to Spain with five cars and ten journalists and went to the Champions League final to see Man United beat Bayern Munich and we went whitewater rafting and it, it, you know it yeah it's nice. it's quite expensive but at the same time you're using the car the truck at the time it was seen as a you know yeah. a lifestyle vehicle for for what you hoped people would do with it so. Yeah, there was there was some good budgets around, and um, it gave you the opportunity to to have a lot of fun, but also really push the message on a on a on a particular car. Yeah, and I think like the ones that are done, even if it is in you know insane budget or whatever, it's it's when it fits with the car yeah. and it makes sense, and it doesn't just seem a bit. Yeah, just done yeah. it because you know. No, you'd, you'd always have to. You'd have to go. You'd have to go and justify what you were doing and why you were doing it. And um, as long as there was a, a good reason, um, and at the end of the day, you're trying to sell sell cars, then then usually they got through. The, the, the ideas got through, and and you know, a good yeah, yeah, a good yeah, press yeah. office, good PR people, they're there to come up with creative ideas. I mean, that's the whole point, really. And um, you're not, you know, you're not buying space like advertising agencies or marketing people you're actually looking to persuade journalists editors to, to fill their pages with your stories so um it works on both ends you know at, at um at bmw and i think they still do it the press office there we started um a program that the last group of journalists on a launch was called the drive back group and we even we even had that yeah. if we went to North America I and mean, you couldn't drive back obviously from North America, but we had extended time in the car and, and that group was always the first group mm. to be filled. And it was literally, here's the car, here's the keys, here's some cash to get you through the tolls and some accommodation, send us the receipts and just let us know when you're bringing the cars back. Um, yeah. And, you know, that filled more space in magazines than just a simple normal test drive would on a, on a launch. So yeah, I think, uh, and I, I think you know the, the the good old days, as you called them, are probably gone now. You you know budgets are so much tighter, um, and uh, people. Are, I guess this is environmental responsibility as well. If you don't need to fly around the world, um, who was there's a fam- was it Andrew Frankel who's got a really famous story about 
a press launch for the Mazda MX-5 where they flew to um, Hawaii and he, he said he spent more time in the yeah. airplane than he did in the car. <laughs> I think, you know, yeah, that, I that's think taking things to excess. So. Many a story like that. Yeah, yeah. Where yeah. you go, I think like a, even now, something like a Ferrari launch, I imagine there's American journalists that will fly yeah. from somewhere in America to Italy, to Maranello, and they will get five laps in the car. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, and you know, something then, like that. And they'll give it 10 out of 10. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly, because yeah. they want to come back. Yeah, um, yeah. But I, I think even on, on that point, on the, the sort of the, the drive at home group, I know the people that sort of I'm around and surrounded with um, and most of the journalists I've spoken to, they just want to drive the car yep. and sort of use it. And if it's someone like Top Gear, well, they probably want to do quite a sort of do an interesting story with it relative to the car maybe. Um no one really wants to just go somewhere with another 50 people doing exactly the same thing and drive it in really restricted situations that are nothing like their home market or what you might use the no, car for no. and all that. Um, and I, no. I, want, I think it must be different, different on depending on the size of manufacturer. If you're a huge manufacturer, you probably work with lots of different news outlets and stuff like that because you've you've worked with big companies and then now smaller more boutique companies yeah. presumably the budget's not the same you're not going to invite everyone and anyone um i guess that's an interesting qu- question itself how do you decide who to invite well yeah but i mean where we are now at praga and and you know budgets are minuscule compared to the big car brands and, and there's nothing wrong with that because actually it focuses you on on um making the best use of that time and money and um and i think the the youtube generation now has has changed um to actually the benefit of smaller brands because with interesting stories um you know when we were planning the first drives of the pre prototype um pre-production prototype of the, the Praga Bohemia um, hypercar that we yeah. launched at the end of last year. We've got one car, one test car, that, and we could afford a couple of days on the track at Dunsfold. Um, so nowhere glamorous, but we've, we work with Ben Collins, so there's a nice link to get Ben along. And it, it, so you can only fit in a small number of media. Um, but... We so we got we got some media along, but also um, I think we got we we topped it out at sort of four or five YouTube um, yeah. uh, folks to to come along, and I had a very interesting chat with 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 one of them. So um, Tim Burton Schmi drove the. He actually we actually got Tim down to Slovakia ring where the car was testing a couple of weeks beforehand. Um, because we yeah. had Roman Grosjean there with us, and, and Tim quite liked the idea of a few laps with Roman. Um, yeah. And I was chatting to to Tim's Tim's manager and Tim about this, and and I think what they what they said at the time really came to pass in that if if you just limit it to you know four or five YouTube YouTubers for want of a better phrase, um, yeah. you actually get more impact than if you had twenty because nobody can sit and watch 20 YouTube films of a car. So if if you just really distill it down to the top four or five, the chances are that everybody who's interested in your car will watch all four or five. 
Um, yeah. So there's, you know, it's a cliche, but less is more. And so I think, you know, it has there's this great opportunity now for smaller brands to have an impact um, at a similar level to um, to the big brands. Now we're really lucky because the the Behemoth is a, an amazing car, so it has attracted quite a lot of attention anyway. So, um, but uh, yeah. yeah I think- I think that that's a hundred percent right. Um, I know Tim quite well, and I know he's always fighting to sort of get something different from everyone else. But yeah. everyone, you know, everyone kind of wants that. Um, but yeah, if you limit it, it's beneficial for you. Costs less money, less time, whatever, all that stuff. But then also, if only four people or three people or whatever it is, a very small number, do something with the car, then there's no options. When someone wants to watch a video about that car and it's come out, there's only four, only yep. three, like you said, and then those will get all the view, all the possible viewers yeah. will watch yeah. those yeah. ones. They'll get more views, and then consequently they'll get pushed to a significantly larger number of people. Yeah, and as long as it's positive, then you're laughing. So it's um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know you, that's that's the risk if you only do four or five and. Um, and it doesn't go well, then there's your challenge. I, I, you know, I suspect, you know, I think Mercedes AMG with the Chris Harris thing is probably a good example where they, they probably only got a few handful of people in and, and it didn't go massively well for them that day. But, um, and that, that immediately you're quite a high profile there as well. So, um, swings and roundabouts, but, um, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, uh, it's, I think, as I said earlier, it, it small budgets, small limited assets you know one test car it really focuses your attention on on what's the essence what's the core of the of what you're trying to say about the car who are the best people to to get involved in that and um it focuses your attention and, and which which ultimately gets you close to the the customer and what they're looking for so it's it's no bad thing to to have limitations on these things I'd yeah. rather I'd I rather have just... I'd rather have four test cars and and yeah. <laughs> five times the yeah, budget, yeah, yeah. but um, uh, but uh, you know when you're when you're small and startup, it's 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 good to be focused. Yeah, I've noticed over the last, I don't know how long you'll be able to tell me, you've worked quite closely with a few YouTubers, um, of all sorts. Yeah, um, I've forgotten. You've worked with a few people. Yeah. A few people that I've had on the podcast. Yeah. Jimmy. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah. and oh, what's he called? What's the driver coach called? Driver sixty one. What's he called? Oh, Scott. Scott Mansell. Scott, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I know you've had a few of those guys racing. Yeah. Um what was the was that a sort of I think a lot of people are put off getting people in this sort of YouTube space. And I know you did sort of you have how did you find those people and how like was that difficult to sort of put together um, in the first place? Yeah, well, so you have to go back a couple of years to, you know, I joined the company, I joined Praga to, to really launch the, the Bohemia Hypercar um, to build the business ready for that because the, 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 I, I went to see the company, I saw the prototypes, they were amazing. I really loved the, the concept of them, you know, going back to genuine lightweight technology, all carbon, petrol engine in the back mm. you know it's it's ideal um and i see that the market wanted that i'd worked with people like pininfarina and rimac amazing cars but it's it's a harder sell a 2000 kilo 2000 horsepower two yeah. million pound electric hypercar is a harder sell than a 
below thousand kilo um, all carbon petrol hypercar. So, so I really like the idea of of working with them. Now, when I went to see them, they they liked the idea of me working with them as well. So they got me going, but I knew the the hypercar was two or three years away. So, yeah, we need to build the brand because even though Prague is a very old car brand that's had 115 years plus of unbroken business, um, nobody, let's say nobody knows about them. It's, it's one yeah. of the great undiscovered car brands really. And um, so we need to raise the brand profile ready for when we launch the hypercar. So that at least when people Google Praga, they see the, the full story. So the, yeah. the best way to do that is through the motor racing, through the, the R1 race car that had been going for, we've, we've sold quite a few now, mostly in America. Uh, but again, quite there's level, low levels of awareness on the R1. But um, we had these conversations with the owner and ultimately to cut a long story short, he, he said to me one day, look, let's, let's, let's force a one make race series onto the market. There's good interest in the car in the UK. One make race series don't happen by overnight by themselves. So if I send you five factory cars, this was for the season before last, if I send you five factory cars to get going on a one make race series, can you find 10 people to race them who have brand, you know, have a presence to raise, help yeah. raise the profile of brand? So let's, let's call them influencers. Can you find 10 influencers to race um, <laughs> five cars that you have two drivers per car? So I said, yes, absolutely, and put the phone down and then thought, oh, shit, what do I do now? <laughs> Can anyone drive? <laughs> so so my, I've worked, you know, BMW, McLaren, I've worked at brands, I've worked in with motor racing. I've never worked in motor racing directly. So yeah. I didn't, I, yeah, so I, I, I then I thought, well, we need a mix of people. Um, I, I'm not a sim racer at all, but I know the history of, there's a little bit of sim racers moving to real racing. Um, yeah. We we thought who are the, who are the racing drivers that are around the place who have got a bit of a profile. We wanted different audiences for for the, each of the driver, and we we just things just really fell into place. So, you know, you make your own look, but um, so you know, Charlie Martin joined us, transgender racing driver um, who's got a profile through through her racing and is is good driver and and a great person as well. Um, James Walker, Mr. JWW came on board. Jimmy Broadbent. Um, Jay Morton from SAS Who Dares Wins, you know, I I I know I know his yeah. manager. So it really was just sort of going round and and every time I picked up the phone to someone they said, Well, yeah, I'd I'd love to race a car. And with Jimmy and yeah. Jay, it was well, I've never raced a car before, but I'd love to give it a go. And and um I said to a few people, I've got this guy Jimmy Broadbent. I had no idea who Jimmy was. Um yeah. somebody much younger than me had recommended him. I I was saying to people, I've got this guy Jimmy Broadbent racing. And they looked at who he was and they were just are you really sure you know what you're doing? So, but I think ultimately, yeah, I met all these people face to face, looked them in the eye. First of all, I said, there's a season for you to come racing with us, um, which is a great offer to somebody. Um, yeah, you know, we didn't, we didn't pay anybody. Everybody was, the, the deal was you get to race for a season and, and um, That's work with us. Yeah, exactly. And um uh, and you know, you look Jimmy in the eye, you look Jay in the eye. They're both very different people. One's an ex SAS and one's a, a sim racer. But the the key thing is they you can just tell. You know, you can tell they're serious. It's a serious little racing car. So, that with all due respect to someone like Caterham, this isn't like saying to me, "Do you want to go and race a Caterham for a bit?" It's no, you know, you've got no, a, it's not. <laughs> a downforce aero car. You've got to 
to make to race to not embarrass yourself you've got to engage the aero which takes nerve and um and they all knew that and and the sort of no-brainer in this really is that they've got their own audience they've got their own fans you know jay's got a big instagram following jimmy's all over youtube if they mess it up they can look really stupid to their fans as well so yeah they've all they've pretty much got skin in the game in it and so you worked on that logic that if they're up for it then they're taking it seriously so yeah so we we populated the five cars and 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 you know on the whole it went it went really well i mean to the point now jimmy came back last season jimmy won rookie of the year first season came back last season and won the championship and was the top amateur driver and has now bought his racing car so that he can race again this year. Cause we're not, we've, we're not, nice. we're not putting factory cars in there. We're focusing all our attention on the, on the hypercar. Yeah. So Jimmy's actually bought his car to go racing again, which, oh, which, which is just fantastic actually that, um, that, you know, it's gone through that process over three seasons now. So yeah, it was, um, I think his one particularly, resonated with me because and i think it does with a lot of a lot of people that have got well you'll be able to see behind me i've got a, a sim set up mm. but there's tons and tons and tons and millions and millions and millions of young people and older people but young people who have like aspirations of being a racing driver and the closest they can yeah. sort of get is playing sim stuff yeah. and like jimmy is a hundred percent that person like absolute fanatic loves everything about it did all the sim stuff, built this YouTube channel, and then for him to get the opportunity to go and yeah. race something, especially like the Praga, like you're not messing around. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like, is it just a really cool story? And then sort of watching that that develop. Yeah, and he, um, yeah, I mean, he took it so seriously. You know, we, you know, he wouldn't mind me saying this, we fell out a couple of times um, at race weekends and, and it was simply, he had a racing driver's head on and, um, and I was sort of, Politely reminding him that, well, yes, but it's, you know, in my mind, you're an influencer. This is, you know, we're in this to, to basically, you know, to cut to the quick, to raise the profile of the yeah. brand. And, and, you know, you can't knock him for, for putting the racing driver head on. You've got to have a racing driver's head on at a race weekend. Otherwise, you know, bad things happen. Well, so, things get wrong. yeah. So, you know, we've, we, we, we laugh about it afterwards, but, um, uh, but he, we were reminiscing actually when he came up here a couple of weeks ago to, to take the car away um it was the second round or third round so um really early on in the first season it was biblical rain at snetterton and there were experienced racing drivers packing up and going home um because it's not the best place anyway when it's wet and lots of standing right. water and it was it wasn't letting up and we said to we took all the the 10 drivers aside um in one big meeting and said to them all do not race if you do not want to race don't race it's just not worth it it'll it'll yeah. cause damage to our cars as much as anything else but worse things could happen and um uh every everybody was up for it um jimmy especially and jimmy said he was absolutely scared witless when he went out um but he just said everybody was going out i couldn't not go out and and looked after himself and um so you know hats off to him it, it you know that that took a lot of nerve um but it, it sort of crossed a bridge for him to to really see that he could do all this and um yeah so yeah it's, it's been great actually to watch these guys do all this and jay jay morton was 
the opposite. He was like, yeah, bring it on. Um, and he was he was spinning all all bloody weekend. And <laughs> but he got on the podium. Uh, did he count? Anyway, he, he he would have got on the podium, but spun it again at the last corner or something daft. So, um, yeah. but he was laughing when he got out of the car. Um, so, <laughs> uh, but um, the, the what sport was really good to to get to now to now where we are is that the last race of this last season. So Jay came back for his second season. Jimmy came back. We had Ben Collins racing with Jay and then Gordy raced with Jimmy as his partner. On the last race at Donington Park, Jay was keeping Jimmy honest and Jimmy was setting as fast times as some of the pro drivers. So you, you see these two guys have sort of developed through the two seasons um, mm. to getting to the speed. Jay's a bit a bit in, unpredictable sometimes in how he drives just because of his nature, but but they've they've... They've both sort of looked at it as a sort of long game of, you know, they, they never went out expecting to win immediately. Um, although Jay yeah. in his third third round was on the winning step twice, so so it's been it's been great. It's it's been good, and it it also shows I think that certainly the race car, it's a great little car for for pro drivers, um, but also for um, complete am drivers as well to step in because all these guys Jay and Jimmy and the rest of them had to do their. Um, how many signatures they had to get to race the car. You know, you can't just get your odds and race at night one. You have to um, get the certificate to, to the level you need to be. So um, it's, it's a good car for novices to jump in as well and learn about aero. So it, that's been the really nice thing to see that the, the, the AM drivers, the influencers have, have got up to speed with some of the pros. Yeah, I remember talking to James before... He was going to drive or no, maybe he just drove. He was about to drive. I feel like his first drive in the car was at like Donington and it was cold and horrible, <laughs> grim. And he was like, I've never driven anything like this. Yeah, I think yeah. it was on slicks or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and that in it, I mean, that is a, that is a big step. Like going from other stuff like James, I know he'd done some caterums and he's driven lots of things, but he's not driven anything like that. What is uh, actually? Let's just run through what that car. What is what is that car? The R1. Like it's a small little prototype type thing. Yeah. So well, there's the um, uh, uh, sketch behind. Um, but yeah, single seat, all carbon, um, carbon turbo, carbon body, um, two liter Renault Alpine engine. Uh, we run it at. at at the moment, at 365 horsepower, the, the, you can run it at 385 um, over an endurance race. That that stretches stretches the, the the car a little bit, but it can go at 385. Um, we tried all we could last year in the the one make race series to make sure people didn't do that. Keep it at 365. <laughs> in in the states where where guys race them, they're they're tuning them to. 420 450 it's it's crazy but um oh, really because it's only six 635 kilos so um and actually yeah. the ones in america most of them are, are lighter than that because that is the gen 5 car which is a little bit heavier so yeah these guys are really pushing them in america um yeah so simple concept you know closed roof um and uh yeah it's it's there is a, a great almost a great step into aero downforce racing because you know in essence because it's been a closed roof it's sort of gt type car um yeah but then it you, you've got the aero and the downforce and um you know it, you, you pretty you, you have to get on 
into that. Otherwise, you you could just get left behind. And, and you know, if you don't engage the error and downforce, then you go off, frankly, at the corners that, that need error and downforce. So, um, so yeah, that's the essence of the car. It struggled. It struggled over the years in being accepted, and that's partly because we'd we'd have you know a car would turn up and beat into a mixed category race and beat the GT threes yeah. and GT fours, and those guys would get upset and tell the organizers well that shouldn't race it's a prototype and then it would go against the prototypes and and beat them and they'd say well, no it's not a prototype it's a gt car because it's got a roof so it's been as a car it's been pushed <laughs> around it the, the, well what i really love about the guys at praga is they're really um just straight racing people engineering people and and also there's a little bit of naivety there so they they designed that car because they wanted to design the perfect little racing car and yeah. they didn't design it to any FIA regs they didn't design it to any any regs they just did what they wanted to do and then thought right now we'll work out how we how we sell it so it's taken a few years to get get going but i think we're seeing now that certainly with introducing a hypercar into the brand and everything else that the brand does actually it's now quite interesting for race organizers for um to think, well, it'd be quite nice to have Praga along. So um, we're seeing quite a lot, an uptick in interest in the car as well around the world. So um, it's, uh, yeah, I think I can see real growth with the with the race car. And also in America where we're taking quite a lot of orders now for just track sort of track toys. So the guys who yeah, have got condos clubs, yeah. at, the, at the most foot parks, um, there's there's a little gang of four of them actually ordered a car just before Chris ordered cars just before Christmas so we've got four cars that are heading over there um, in the next two or three weeks so it's it, it's perfect for something like that because if if they've been driving a radical or a caterham for the last few years at their motorsport park this this is a good little car just to to take almost take to the next level so um, uh, yeah it's, yeah yeah and it makes perfect sense for that sort of situation like. I the reason I got into radicals was I had some nice road cars. I started taking them on track, and then you're like, mm, okay. And then I was like, I want to do a bit of racing, but I wanted something that was different to the road cars. Yeah. And like, it's kind of why I'm not that interested in GT racing. Because like, you then start getting the cost thing, and it all yeah. gets a bit yeah. warped. But a prototype is a fundamentally different driving experience to a heavy yeah. GT car and they are heavy and like significantly heavier in comparison. And you look at something like a Praga or a Radical or that sort of thing. And you know, you've got tons of downforce literally, and it's such a different driving experience. So I can see why if you've got all the road cars and even if you've done a bit of racing and whatnot, you go, well, if I'm driving on track, I might as well drive something that's really good on track and light yeah. and doesn't use yeah. much consumables and we'll just hammer around all day long. Yeah, we've we've got um we we launched the hypercar in um the United Arab Emirates uh in uh, uh, at the end of last year and we've got a really good partner over there in Dubai called Dragon Racing who are based at the Autodrome and and Dragon are the best in the business over in over in the Middle East for running race cars and track day cars. They yeah. I think they run about 30 Ferrari Challenge cars now. And um, they came on board with us last year and bought bought a car for one of their customers and Ian and um, and 
what he really likes about it, we we caught it. Well, he, he liked the fact that the first race he went out in last year he won, which was quite nice. But um, <laughs> uh, he really likes the idea. There's a sort of purity to the race car that it, it's really predictable in um, in tire wear um, in in its performance because it's lightweight. So you can really analyze your lap times really well. You can you know you you can you can make up seconds around a track then you can make it tenths of seconds and, and really start to work on your your abilities as a driver um you know when, whilst we were over there launching the car um we had ian was had a couple of days with rob weldon who raced with you know with, with raw motorsport last season with us mm-hmm. and rob and ian were two days in front of laptops just taking off tents tents and tents and it i think that's that's one of the things that um really appeals about about the r1 is that ability to hone your abilities as a driver yeah that's something that i think is not necessarily underappreciated but i think not necessarily known about that much is like the data side of driving a car um is is where you do most of your learning like okay you can someone can sit next to you but if someone sits next to you the car's got another 70 kilos in it and it drives different and then you know, they can watch a video and you can see a reasonable amount from a video, but it's when you start lining up traces next to each other and stuff that you really start to go, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. you're yeah. breaking like this and you need to break like this and well, shapes just, of curves and all that. Yeah. Sort of stuff. And especially on a, on a downforce car, um, because it's all in the corners. And so, you know, entry exit and speed you're having taken through the corners um, is everything you know if you can keep it flat through a corner then the aero kicks in and, and it just pushes you on so i think um you know that ultimately that's where you make up your time and that's the beauty of a downforce car is is really focused on the corner so um yeah you can really work the data well yeah yeah, yeah. i sound so like i know the... what i'm talking about in motorsport don't i it's great <laughs> <laughs> Well, we need to talk my, about this hypercar my, at some time, some point. Yeah, please. let's talk about the hypercar. <laughs> um, so the Behemoth, where where did the name come from? Um, oh, I don't know. A year, two years Someone's ago, <laughs> a year or two years ago, I was presented with a list of about fifty different names that the guys at Praga had had come up with over the over the time. Yeah, and um, and I quickly went through the fifty, crossed. 47 of them out and kept three i can't remember what the other two were but but yeah behema was was one of them and um on a very simplistic level most hypercars are three syllable words ending in a um wire mura um you can go on and on regira yeah yeah, yeah. so and it it so there's this logic, you know, if, if you come up with a three syllable word ending in A, um, people have their views on whether they like the name or not. So far, it's resonated really well. Um, and also, but the, the region that, the, you know, the company's based in, Czech Republic, Slovakia, that was historically the region of Bohemia in, in Central Europe. So there's a, a little link to, to mm. where we come from. We're, we're, the, the people are very proud of their heritage in that part of the world. Um, and and the heritage in motorsport and, and engineering, it's it's a real hotbed. And it, you can see now most modern manufacturers, they use a lot of carbon fiber shops down there. That that part of the world now is is a great place to be engineering and developing cars. So we should, we've yeah. picked a name that references that. 
Um, I also really liked as well. I like the, the sort of idea of being a bit bohemian um, uh, in a sort of you know it's 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 somebody who's a little bit on the on the on the edge on the side of things. It's sort of quite a creative thing to be bohemian. It's um, so there was a bit of play of there, but yeah, it was it's there's um there's some stories behind the name like that, but uh, ultimately. If it's an, if the car's good, yeah. the name's good. Basically, I, I know that from when I was at Ford. I was part of the team that launched the Ford Focus, and <laughs> when we, when we announced the name Focus, Escort changed to Focus. It just caused uproar. It was that generally the reaction yeah. was that is the most stupid name for a car I've ever heard. Well, if the car's great, <laughs> which it was, it people suddenly forget their problems with the name, and you know that first generation Ford Focus is um, a legendary car now. So um, suddenly Focus becomes a great name. So yeah. Um, I was also part of the team that uh, that selected MP412C for the first McLaren supercar, and uh, <laughs> that, <laughs> that's probably one to forget. Mm, but yeah. Um, yeah, that one didn't <laughs> quite work. Uh, no, I remember seeing I saw somewhere on someone's phone some some pictures early days. Um, I think actually no, it was the same day that you were showing the car to people yeah. um, behind some closed doors. I think at a supercar driver meeting. Oh yeah. And thinking, ooh, this looks juicy. And then, and that is actually, I thought that was my first impression of seeing the car. It just, it looks cool. Like, you see a lot of cars launched yeah. these days that are not, they look not, don't look quite right. They look a bit weird. Something's not going on. And then they'll tell you some yep. excuse or some fact or whatever. And you're like, yeah, but it doesn't look good. Um, whereas this, you can see the Praga side yeah. of it. Um, and then it's some mad supercar. You can you can clearly see the family resemblance to the race car. There, there's no ca zero yeah. carryover. Nothing on the road car is on the race car, and vice versa. Um, so it, it gives us there's a language coming through, but it's language based on aerodynamics. Let's can we run through some of the specs of it? So is it a carbon tub? It's yeah, everything's yeah, all carbon, carbon tub, carbon body, um, lot of carbon. And then what's it? What was it weigh? Uh, less than a thousand kilos, so we're um, targeting nine eight two kilos. Um, right. that, that's wet, wet without fuel. Um, that is super light. It's it's phenomenal. When when you when you look enough to see the car, you, you well if you hear the stats, you hear about less than a thousand kilos. You know, road legal race car. You immediately think, well, it must be stripped out, and yeah, um, and it's not. It, it, I can't quite work out how the engineering director and the design director have done what they've done because the interior is a beautiful place to sit. The quality is is fantastic. The materials are fantastic, um, but it's super lightweight. The, the interior structure itself is super lightweight. So um, they've done an amazing job to to get the weight below a thousand, um, and uh, and the benefit is there. And then a how it drives around a track. You know, we're targeting GT3 lap times on semi-slicks, um, but also on the road. It, it, it's a massive benefit for us to be putting a 982 kilo race car on the road. Because um, yeah. again, you, you assume this thing's going to shake your fillings out and, and be awful on road because race car on road should be awful. But the fact it's so light <laughs> yeah. just gives you so much opportunity to work on the suspension and the, the compliance. Um, Again, it's about it's what I said about the race car. It's about predictability of engineering, predictability of performance. If you can just give you that solid predictability in what you're doing, it allows you to to tune the car for both 
Rodan race. So, um, yeah, the, uh, a guy called Uri Mitro is the design director and Jan Marsnek is the engineering director. And they've, they've done an amazing job, actually. Um, and they've also, I think, on the, so sty- it- the styling as well is really important because, as you say, it looks good. And they've been really focused on pure aero design, but not at the lack of visual beauty, if you like. Yeah. So, so Uri, Uri and Jan have worked hand in hand day to day so that, so that to add some elegance into the styling, but without removing the performance from the aero. So, um, and I, you know, I'm biased, but I think it works. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it does. And so is it designed to be heavily track focused or also like actually reasonably okay on the yeah, road or yes just yes to both of those but yeah it's um i mean <laughs> really the starting point is our 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 heritage at the moment you know is is performance on track on dirt if it's dakar um yeah. on track with go-karts so prague is the third biggest go-kart chassis manufacturer in the world through its various different brands so there's a, there's a race mentality um and the 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 essence to the car came when um uh, we had the r1 race car and the company said well let's see if we can do a road legal version of the race car this was 2015 2016 and yeah. some some of your viewers and listeners will know the r1r which was the road legal prototype of the r1 um, you know, it burned really brightly for a very short period of time. Came on um, a road trip. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. Okay, you're on the right. Yeah. So up to Sweden or <laughs> in the snow. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which you know, amazing. So we we proved that we could make a road legal version of a race car. Now the problem is commercially, if picking. Ready to pop the question. The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss your number let's say that car would have been on sale at a quarter of a million euros you'd have to make a lot of them you'd have to have a global network you'd have to you know just yeah and i think the owner at the time said great we've got a road legal version of a race car but if we put that into business it'll kill us overnight um but we don't want to kill the project it's it's proven we can do it now ironically the more you can charge for a car the fewer you have to build and the easier it is in theory to to build a business from that because you don't need a global network of dealers you can you can look after customers individually so that was the the vision at the time was well let's see if we can push this concept of a road legal race car to the hypercar market make the car bigger full two seat um much higher quality 
and and that's where we are today. So yes, first and foremost, this is a road legal race car, but then to to justify the price point, to justify the, the position in the market, it has to be available for anybody who wants to to drive it on the road, whether that's from Silverstone Racetrack to Silverstone Village and back, or whether it's from your home in in on the south coast to Silverstone, yeah, um, or or you know these sorts of road trips, it, it it shouldn't really matter. So we're working really hard on the compliance of the car. Um, so far, it's good. Everybody's driven in the car on the road. Just reported really positively back. Um, the visibility is really good for. Um, obviously front through the sort of wraparound screen, but then the, the wing mirrors, which are huge on these huge side stays, provide really good visibility. Um, but also there's people have seen there's, there's two side pods in the rear three-quarter arches yeah, yeah, um, yeah. With, with bespoke luggage. So there's, there's, there's luggage space for, you know, a night away, a weekend away if you pack lightly, So or luggage space for your helmet and your boots. So, yeah, we're... we're uh, we're hoping to to nail both sides of it. The, the, the comp- if there's compromise, it will it will be on the road. There's going to be no compromise with the car's performance on track. Um, that's our our focus. But um, you know, the, the, you, you can't have both, and the, the, it's the opposite with most most road legal track cars are road cars first, and then engineered for the yeah. track. So there's there's compromises there on both sides because. You're then compromised on the road because you made a track car, but you're massively compromised on track with the weight and 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 where you've started from. So um, yeah, yeah. It's, if it's, anyone has run a track special road car, maybe a Ferrari or whatever, yeah. and actually done some serious track miles, they'll realise quite how well expensive it is to run yeah. <laughs> and how much yeah. abuse running a car like that whatever it is 1500 kilos on a track day or that sort of thing multiple yeah. times a year you know discs breaks stuff just starts falling apart after not that long well that, that's interesting because we um for the tires the tire choice on the behemoth um and we've seen this with the r1 race car the tire wear is minimal uh, which yeah. comes down to weight um but uh, the, we've we're we're working with Pirelli now. So the tire of choice is Pirelli, and that and it wasn't because we chose the brand we wanted to work with. It was we went through all the different options, all the different possible tires, and the Pirellis just never gave up. They just ran and ran and ran for lap after lap after lap, and and actually the Jan, the engineering director, he, he can't put his finger on why it was just night and day from every other single option, yeah. and. Um, uh, so yeah, you've got that total predictability in what's going to happen to your car on track when you're when you're working at lightweight and and aerodynamic. It's um yeah. it's, it's going to be fantastic the, for people to take the car on track actually. And the engine choice, that was quite yeah. an interesting one. Um, I guess fundamentally, you've got to buy an engine that's made unless you're not making yeah. your own engines. Um, so that that's somewhat limiting. Um. Do you know what led to this particular engine choice, and what is the? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. You, I guess, one option always is you can develop your own engine. Um, I mean, very few of what are supposedly bespoke engines in hypercars and supercars are actually. Yeah. There's there's always a foundation where they come from. Um, but uh, you know, it, the car would be double the price point and and have 
way way more complications and problems if you developed your own engine yeah. we can we can see that in in the market at the moment so um my understanding of where the engine came from is that praga has has known ian litchfield for quite a long time and in a conversation about the powertrain um just the idea of the nissan gtr came up and i think uh, at the time i think it was a case of well there's no way nissan are going to let us do that and let us take their pride and joy there were there were one or two other options on the table that were discussed um but i think through the relationship with ian um it gave nissan some confidence that uh this would be a good thing to do and and that's where we are it's um uh, and the, the nice thing is we so we we it means we'll continue working with litchfield on uh developing the engine after sales on the powertrain you know um and I would be very surprised if one or two customers don't take the car to Ian and ask for more than 700 horsepower. Well, <laughs> I think that was going to be my follow-up question because we know what they do at Litchfield and they yeah. turn GTR yeah. engines into high horsepower yeah. um, things. I wouldn't recommend I it, mean, but I'm sure people will do it. No, the, it, yeah. seriously, though, the, 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 so we're aiming for the, the aerodynamic package on the car to um, be honed for more than 700 horsepower um because we know some people will uh there'll be a point we'd probably start with number eight where we would recommend additional aero um performance is is involved and we're 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 looking at how we can support that with you know something like a track pack or aero pack whatever you want to call it um and the reality is that uh, if you can take a bit of weight out of the car even further from 982 that it's 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 absolutely conceivable that a one-to-one power to weight ratio car um could be looked at by clients i suspect he'll just take it to ian and uh he'll just plug in his laptop yeah. and and there you go so um so yeah which is really exciting i i i just really like the fact that we're not too precious to um to respect that of, of a number of the 89 owners of the car will want to do these sorts of things and, and why not, yeah. you know? Um, so uh, whether it's tuning the engine, whether it's working with people on their lap times on track, whether it's, you know, uh, the, uh, the fact we're working with 89 customers, some of the 89 will put the cars into storage and, and never see the light of day, but we can build relationships with each of these, these um, customers on whatever level they want. So, and, and that's where people like Litchfield are great. Cause they, you know, it's, they, they, they're just really focused on how they work with their customers and, and bespoke work. So it's, um, yeah, yeah it's that's exciting. quite cool. Cause I've not really seen that level of, I know it's not necessarily direct integration on that level. I guess you wouldn't necessarily link it. You wouldn't go, well, this is a person that you know exists and they do the engine and we know they do this other stuff. You'd never really see that from another manufacturer. It's always like, maybe you'd get like a Brabus or whatever, which is sort of a kind of a a sort of thing. But um, it's interesting that you're going to work together and go, well, someone's going to give it more horsepower because like, you know, why not just to try it out? Um, So let's, factor well, the, that in yeah and the, i mean the beauty of it is is that most of our clients will have or have had a nissan gtr anyway as a as a daily runner probably so um you know there's one gentleman we 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 presented the car to that's interested who's got a whole collection of gtrs over the years so um and we had a, 
a very small group of guys over at um, Hockenheim uh, in back in October, I think, came to see the car, and uh, one big car collector turned up, and he he, had, he hadn't done his research into what we were doing, but um, yeah. we told we told him the the engine. He said, "Oh, great! Guess what? I just turned up in my Nissan GTR." <laughs> so. Um, you know, everybody loves that car. It's and it's it's bomb proof as well. So um loads of positives around the engine. Um and and then to sort of you know, we've got a Hewland racing gearbox that we've adapted so that it, it'll be more compliant on the road but still do the, the business on the track. So if you if you take Hewland, you take the Nissan GTR engine, Litchfield, um you take Pirelli, you know, the 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 pieces of the jigsaw really fit really nicely around then the bespoke Praga design and engineering of the, the, the body, the chassis. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it, as a package, I think it's, it's really appealing. What's it like at low speed? Is it, has it got a clutch pedal at all? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So it'd be, well, it'll be fully automatic. So it would be two pedals. Um, so yeah. there'll be no, no concerns with people, you know, struggling to set off from outside the casino or down the pit lane. It's, it's going to be, really smooth so you know that's that's really important as well that uh, there's a bit of drama getting in and out of the car you don't want drama when you're setting off as well <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and reverse it's not like a weird procedure it's nah. just reverse and off yeah, you yeah. go yeah yeah one click yeah because that's something that you sometimes see with kind of funny whether yeah. dog box sequential type yeah. boxes where it gets a bit funny and i think for i think for a road car it's yeah. a car that's going to be used on the road by most people. They don't want to be things you, I, you'll accept at a track. You, you don't yeah. accept on the road. I mean, it'll be, it's the polar opposite of so somebody will park at the, the Praga Behemoth next to their coding seg, um, Jesco or whatever. And it, it's the polar opposite. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's the beauty of it. I think in that, you know, the, the coding seg is full of incredible technology, real groundbreaking stuff that, you know, they're still, still working on as they're, taking orders yeah. which is amazing um and doors and bonnets and boots all going up at the same time and dancing and 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 our car is just really simple straightforward concept um and there's a you know it it does fill a niche if, if there's no niche to fill there'd be no point in doing this car um and there is a niche for the sort of car we're presenting um that i think will make sure it fits really well in, inside car collectors lineups and garages so um and the other i mean the other nice thing as well is that at this point at this level of the business you know we know we've we know people at coding's egg we know people at pagani we know people at at, at these brands and um because it is a super small world up there and uh, uh and gordon murray and places and the nice thing is all these guys are sold out years in advance so we're not seen as much of a threat i don't think <laughs> which is which is nice certainly when we launched the mclaren 12c uh, we were seen as a threat by our competitors, which which is an added complication to doing business. Yeah. But no, we've we've got um, you know some of the best luxury and supercar dealers around the world wanting to work with us, and and at the volumes we're selling, that's no there's no business for them there, but it's just an interest in what we're doing yeah. um, that sits alongside their other supercars and hypercars. So um, it's uh, uh, yeah, it's it's. We, we launched at the end of last year and I think we're all feeling in, in, in optimistic about where we're going with this. Well, how many are you going to make and what do they cost? Eight, we're going to make 89. Um, that, 
that is based on that in 2022, um, it was 89 years since Praga won uh, a a road race uh, in in what was Czechoslovakia, uh, called yeah. the Thousand Miles of Czechoslovakia. So we we were always looking at a number below 100. Uh, we were just throwing some numbers around, and um, and this sort of anniversary came up, and it's it, it's you know when I talk to people, you know the guys Octane or Magneto, a place like that, and which which are you know these are magazines that are bought by our prospective clients and you know it's lovely to have a sort of story behind a number um mm. that might change i think because it's the 90th anniversary this year when we actually bring the car to market <laughs> so maybe we'll have to find we'll have to do a one of a one-to-one -one at the end of the 90th car but um yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah. 80, 89 cars uh the current price is 1.1 million pounds plus taxes it's it's bought direct from the factory yeah, yeah. so that's one point well, 1.28 million dollars in euros um It'll, it'll increase in price each year, just the way of the world at the moment. Everything's increasing in price. Yeah. So we'll have a, a, a small uplift halfway through this year, but that's the current price point of the car. Um, and so, what what should be, assuming they all sell out and whatever, how how long do you think you'll make it for? How, how long will uh, it take to we'll, make we'll Production will continue into 2027. Um, we're being very conservative about how many cars we build each year. And the most important okay. thing is that, um, you know, you, there's no point in building 12 cars and having all 12 cars sitting there being reworked and at the, at yeah. the end of the production line. So we're, we're maximum 20 cars a year. Um, when we get going this year, we, we'll, we'll produce less than 10. We're going to make sure that they're absolutely perfect as, as perfect can be. Um, so yeah, relatively slow. So we'll go through to 2027. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then see what's next after that. See what's next. So, well, yeah. a typical journalist question when we show them the car. What's yeah. next? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not going to ask what's next. Um, I, I can I've, I, I can make some guesses about things. We've talked about some things that might happen. Um, yeah. You know, who knows? There might be a convertible at some point. Everyone everyone makes a convertible. Um, so, and then I guess actually with the, because the GTR, you can't buy the GTR now, can you? No. So um, think, certainly not in its in its form. I mean, I'm sure they'll the brand will be there, the badge will be there, but yeah. I so think that, that's it. Back. Yeah, yeah. I think they've said they're going to make another one. Yeah, it'd probably be hybrid, um, I think, won't it? So, um, yeah. Who knows, yeah so I mean, that's, that's the again the good relationship with Litchfield is that we've got connections into the. I mean, we've got a relationship with the the performance division at, at, at Nissan anyway, right up to the top table. Um, you know, the engine was signed our our use of the engine was signed off right at the top at Nissan. So um, there's there's good relationship there and, and even better through the fact that um, uh, we'll we'll do it through Litchfield as well. So, um, you know, it's yeah, good so to know that there's that, that relationship. Yeah, and your powertrain's pretty secure. Like getting hold yeah. of 90 yeah. GTR engines, I imagine is not particularly challenging, um, yeah. <laughs> unlike some other engines that get used in these sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I normally wrap these up with five questions. You ready? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Do you, what's your most memorable driving trip or journey? So I drove, we talked about the BMW drivebacks. I, yeah. um, I drove back from south of France in the Z3 Coupe, you know, the breadmobile. Um, yeah. One time we, 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 we tried to take, 
if we did a car launch, we tried to take two or three of the heritage cars along that had relevance to the yeah. what was being launched. And the the Z3 Cooper is just sitting there, and I just love that car, so I, I bagged that one. That was that was great. It, it's not the best nice. car to drive from the south of France to England over one night or something, but it was it was great fun. Yeah, and um, yeah, and then I mean, so it's BMW still was. Um, uh, I got to drive the BMW M1. Um, uh, on the road, I've got a friend who's driven it on track who winds me up about that. But um, <laughs> and then, but that was just from from the offices in Bracknell. We used to do a drive out. We'd get journalists along with the heritage fleet and drive out to a pub, um, you know, twenty thirty miles away. Oh, nice. It took a while to get in it, um, and the driving position's awful, and the pedals are offset terribly. If I'm six, I'm nearly six <laughs> foot four, so it's impossible. But you know how these things are. Once you're in, um, and that was yeah, a yeah, memorable yeah. experience. Um, the most memorable car I never drove was um, Nick Mason's F1 GTR. Um, I was at Dunsfold once, and, and we were just doing something with McLaren, obviously, and and uh, it came up in conversation that I'd never driven a, an F1, and um, he just handed me the keys. I was, are you joking? He said, no, no, go on, you, you'll be fine. And we had to get on with doing other stuff, and an hour later, the clouds rolled in, and the heavens opened, uh, and he, he, just, uh... he just politely asked for his car keys back. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I've still never driven a McLaren F1. So close. But, Had the keys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, if you could only drive one car for the rest of your life and you're allowed like a cheap banger on the side. So like, I don't know if you've got family or whatnot, you can have something super cheap on the side to sort of cover daily duties if needed. So yeah, one car, what would it be? M3 CSL, easy. Ooh. <laughs> And would you do a manual conversion? Is that the sort of thing that you'd you'd be into? No, I don't or? think so. I, I I'm too old for that now. I, I'd stick with the stick <laughs> with enough. the stick with the the gearbox as it was. But no, I I, I really I that car is just it it's it's a car that everybody you know is just like in love with now. But I remember the days when we launched it. It was a, a bit of a mess. We you know people thought we'd ordered too many. It was too expensive. They didn't really get it, and and we all got it. And I, I sit with old colleagues from BMW in those days, and we we tick off the cars we should have bought at the time. That was one of them. The blood yeah. Z3 Coupe was one yeah, of them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. all these cars are just you've just seen what's happened to the prices of them the last few years. So yeah, that that would be that it's, would be in my garage. It's funny that because I feel like this sort of thing did happen. I'm not that old. I'm 35, and I didn't get into cars until relatively late in my life. Um, but I feel like there was a time when I looked at the market and went, yeah, but that's a really cool yeah, car yeah. and it's not that expensive. And now, I'd, and, and I'm, I'm think, saying cars like M3 CSL, maybe. I've got a 997 Gen 2 RS, cars like that. I don't look at the market now and see anything like that. And I'm like, I, I want to yeah. Pick the whatever and like put it away and drive it, but go. Yeah, this is a safe bet or anything. And I, there's nothing like that at the moment. I feel. Yeah. I, or in twenty years' time, you'll be saying, "I thought there wasn't anything around at the time, but look how that's gone up." Yeah. I know. I know what you mean. I think. hundred oh, percent. Yeah, but I, th I think that's a there's a nostalgia thing as well. There isn't there that that um, yeah. that era. You know, the the nineties. There's some amazing cars that probably weren't appreciated at the time because of all the amazing cars that were from the previous decades. Whereas yeah. now we're in an era where cars are becoming much more homogenous and, and uh, less personality to them. 
it's it's just the, the way of the world. So yeah, you're probably right. There's there's fewer cars now that you can say there's a future classic that'll appreciate in value. Um, but uh, I guess one way that people normally do it is it's like your sort of formative years or the the years yeah. where you're like you can't afford it and you're like that is really cool and you might have seen one or two around. Yeah. And then there's I think there's probably if I look back at the cars that stick in my mind for me are all around 2000, probably five to 2012 or something. That was quite like a, I really started getting yeah. into it in that period of time. So I, I, there are other cars in that space that I'm like, none of them are cheap. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, I, I still it, you're like right. Going, it's the, oh, yeah, it's absolutely. the, it's the 25 year olds becoming 45 and, and yeah. earning the money and then having the money to reinvest in the cars that they loved back in the day. And, um, uh yeah so long may it last because it just fills the back pages of octane every month and yeah <laughs> lets you yeah, lets yeah, you yeah. lets you write down your bucket list of of what you want but uh yeah i mean there's a lot of st- chat about peugeot 205 gtis and stuff like that these days or lancia delta integrales and things um very cool right yeah, yeah. what do you think i guess this is a good lead up for that actually what do you think is the most undervalued car at the moment what should be worth more <laughs> wow um i think i was i can't remember who i was talking to last week about somebody um who's got one of the very first mclaren mp412c's and um mm. and whenever i meet people who've got a 12 the original 12c with the swipey door and um the presumably sat-nav, fully the, replaced by now the, like well every sat- part of the or car. the sat nav that doesn't work <laughs> You know, the first thing I yeah. say is I'm really sorry. And I tend to find there's <laughs> people sitting in two camps. They either say, um, yeah, my car was a complete disaster. I got locked out of it. I had to smash the window because the battery went flat. There's a whole note, you know, list of, of historical yeah. known problems. You get another camp of people who say, do you know, my car never missed a beat. I didn't know what all the fuss was about. I love it to bits. I've still got it. It's done 48,000 miles. Um, and uh, uh, I, I think... Yeah, the 12C is probably, I, I don't know what they're at at the moment, but I, I bet you can get them quite cheap. Um, just the fact of the, the rarity yeah. value. So I think we, we made about, McLaren made about 1,200, 1,300 of the first generation of 12C. Um, and those is that are still that around and running well, because um, it has lasted, I think, as a really elegant design as well. It's, it's a, it's, you know, 100%. It's a, so yeah, that's, I think that's, there, this is one in 25 years' time. We're saying we should have bought a 12C <laughs> in 2023. Yeah. Well, um, I think, and you need the car. A friend of mine has had one, uh, has one now, and has had it for a long time. And he drives it, like, yeah. every now and then. Um, he lives in Germany, so it gets the full the full yeah. beans given to it um, down the autobahn on the way to the office occasionally. Um, but... His car, I went in it recently, and you're like, that car is still mental now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The port, the performance is, and is fantastic, like, and the 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 trick the trick suspension system that you know the integrated linked yep. suspension system, you know, it blew people away when we launched it. Literally, I, I, I'll never forget. We we did a a preview of the car with. I don't know, 20 or 30 journalists at Portimao, just as, and it was the first time they'd done most of them. I thought all of them had been to Portimao. And um, uh, they, they, 
the jaws were literally dropping at the the compliance of the car, the suspension of the car around the track, and then on mm. there's a, there, at the time there was a really crappy old road went down to the the coast from the the racetrack. Um, so yeah, as an as a piece of engineering and ergonomics, actually interior ergonomics is fantastic. A piece of engineering, it was it was amazing. Um, it was just lots of met problems with software and glitches like that. But um, I, you know, I'd imagine most most of the glitches yeah. and things are probably if if you've got one that's been around, I would imagine they're probably ironed out now. But yeah, if if one's been, I mean, the bills. I saw some of the <laughs> the bills for some of these cars. If you owned a 12C, generally it would go back for some work. That yeah. that seemed to happen. And I remember someone looking at running one out of warranty. And actually my friend, I don't think he doesn't have a warranty on his anymore. Um, but for the first couple of years, it was like 15, 20 grand yeah, yeah. a year in, like, in stuff getting replaced. But presumably by now, if it still runs and it's been driven till now, most stuff will have gone through the cycle. And yeah, been, uh, and there's, and there's more and more cool. um, private um you know out out of the net out of the mclaren network um places that will look after cars that you know probably more sensible prices but yeah yeah no they're very cool what's um what's the most interesting car to you at the moment what you googling what are you looking up um i i i'm really interested in the the zinger um Mm. i i was very had a very light touch involvement a little a couple of two or three years ago in a, a little project around that and i think you've had jens sverdra upon your 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 yep. program before you know I, I know jens really well and uh, i think it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out um i'm, I'm not sure at the moment the, the dream of what was promised is quite there They've, they seem to have gone more back towards a sort of let's deliver a performance car but i'm sure it is this whole yeah. Look at how do you manufacture a car with a much lighter touch? Um, I think that that's that's amazing. I I I I really hope that comes off because it's it's what they're trying to do is is pretty quick and the car looks super cool. I mean it's you know hands hands down. Yeah. So um, so the I think manufacturing on that car, yeah, it's so cool. Well, I think like, it, I saw I saw it in London. Yeah, and just like the engine bay. Just looking at the engine yeah. bay and then you start looking at the components and you're like, oh, the way they've done this is insane. But I, yeah, I've not really heard anything about the car in the last, I don't know, I feel like two years. Yeah. Like it came um, out and then yeah, I think it. uh Yeah, it'd be interesting. It, it'll, either, it'll either work and change the game or it'll be one of those things that they make, make a number of the cars that, that you know, become iconic as cars in themselves, but um, yeah, but the but the, the the concept doesn't quite work to to move to manufacturing. I mean, it, it's it's uh, the I was talking to Ben Collins in Dubai actually about the Lucid. Is it is it Airstream? Is that what it's called? The this hugely heavy latest, electric, yeah. yeah electric car that yeah, he's he's yeah. thrown around Laguna Seca and things. And mm. it, I was, you know, just saying that. He said the technology on the car is incredible, and I and we were just having a debate about how, in ten years' time, will will there be a Lucid car brand around? Because it's so hard. You take Zinger, you take Lucid. I mean, Prague to a certain extent, although at least we've got a hundred and fifteen years of history behind us and other irons in fires. But um, to to yeah. bring a, a brand new car brand to the world, um, 
with new technology, everything new, you know, the cost of it. The, and then you have to deal in the market against established competitors who are out there to kill you. Yeah. It's, it's super hard. So, um, yeah, I mean, these are all fascinating things in themselves. And um, uh, so, yeah, I think uh, it'd be interesting to see where those, those guys go. It is very interesting. Like the Lucid, I like the, I like the sort of concept of it. Um, the same with the Rivian. I think yeah. I'm not really an SUV person, but I think they've built a co- quite a cool thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you do, I do look at those brands and go, yeah, but you've got to make the next step. You've got to get to making 100,000 a year, 500,000 a year, a million a yeah. year, which yeah. you look at Tesla and, and the, we know they were going gangbusters until they tried to do that next jump. And that's, you know, when Elon Musk famously slept in the yeah, factory yeah. They, to sort of get it all working. But that, you, you that ultimately have time, to become a normal car company and which goes against the original ethos of, of, of what you're trying to do. And, and, you know, Tesla is becoming a normal car company with, um, with all the things that go into that. Um, uh, so it'd be interesting to see where where that leads. But th- they've they've done the hard yards now. I suspect they've you know they they're there or thereabouts. Rivian's really fascinating. I was really lucky to meet RJ Scarring, who's the founder, um, just after I left McLaren, and um, and he had it all nailed. I mean, he 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 wasn't a car guy as such, but he he ticked every box. And and I think clearly the fact yeah. that you know they've had Ford invest in them, Amazon invest in them in the early days will give them that basis. So um, they'll be around, I'm sure. Um, but um, yeah, it's it's not easy coming into a, an industry. Um, and uh, that's where, you know, as I say, we're, we're lucky in that we've already got, we've got an aviation division as well as the carts, as well as the, uh, yeah. we've, got, we've got a truck division and, uh, and all sorts of businesses that, um, mean that the car the car business itself is is not the be all and end all which again i think um gives the company the the ability to be really focused on what the car is and not compromise on on the car itself so uh yeah and and yeah and you've got you've sort of got at the moment i'd say you've got you know you've got your niche you're like we make fast downforce race cars and now we make a fast downforce yeah. road car, like that. That that works, and you do it in small numbers, and, and that's well. Sort of and we thing. can we can make um, it lightweight as well th- because we can still get the car in uh, with a petrol engine uh, before legislation mm. removes that possibility. And um, being lightweight is where the, the company's focused on. And if we've, so, we talked about what might be next. Well, one thing that might be next is it would have to be hybrid or battery yeah. powered, presumably. Uh, but we we don't know what's next because that technology will move on at such a pace over the next two, three, four, five years, as as electric and hybrid have to be delivered as new cars. You need to you need to de- develop the battery and motor technology. So um, by the time we get round to the next car, hopefully there'll be really lightweight opportunities around um, alternative fuels. Yeah, it sounds like that's been one of the biggest challenges for people making say an ev or, or something like that that you're like right our car's going to come out and you're going for high performance in three years time you basically you have to guess you're like this is where yeah. the tech might be this is what a power pack might look like in three years time when our car's going to come out 
but you just don't yeah. know yet and it's changing so fast which is i mean that's a challenge and yeah yeah and it's where you know anybody who's delivering a electric powered performance car or luxury car has got that challenge because the customers know yeah. that the technology will move on as their car depreciates in value um and yeah. or lives its life not necessarily depreciate but lives its life but um with with the behemoth it's it's totally predictable everybody knows the technology everybody knows um what they're getting into so um which i think is where you know if you're if you're if you're in the car industry at the moment you're hanging your coat on pure electric plug-in electric then you're you're a brave man or woman i think it's it's you know there'll be a mix in 10 years time um and and it, it's going to be fascinating to see where that actually leads i mean i think we've seen toyota yeah, well, toyota I, seem to be going very very hydrogen at the moment so yeah it's it's it sounds like we're going to have a mix the the yeah. solution long term is going to be some sort of mix and probably most day-to-day -day traffic will be ev and whatever yeah. um but in the hypercar space i've always i find it interesting like you're saying you worked with um Rimac and Pin and Farina. Um, the the thing I when looking at those cars, I go, okay, well, Rimac basically invented this car, and they've done it. So if I was going to get an all electric hypercar, that's the one I would get. I wouldn't get someone else's version of the same car. That's sort of a, yeah my bland way of looking at it. Um, but even then, I don't know yet how many people out there, especially in the car world, are ready. They're like, they look at those cars. I don't know how many people go, yeah, but I really want to buy one. There will be people that will like it, but I, I feel like there's not that many at the moment. Yeah, It's, it's hard it's, to get, convince them. I, I was talking to a, a Rimac dealer uh, the day or day or two after Chris Harris um, did the Navira on Top Gear and just did the most amazing... Mm. Uh, burnout and drift, and he yeah, said, yeah, he yeah, said, yeah, yeah. he said the phone's been off the hook since then, and um, yeah, uh, and I, I think that's the trick with, so you know, if you take the the Praga Behemoth, if you're buying one, you it, you know exactly what you're getting into, you know exactly what you can do with it, yeah. you know exactly, you know what your ambition is with it, whether it's to, you know, hone your skills on track or whatever, you it's it's totally predictable. I think with with the electric performance cars, it's hard to know. The chances are you probably already own a Taycan or a Model X. Yeah. So it's hard to know what 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 am I getting over and above that? And I think that's where these 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 brands have got to work on. And if if Rimac are working on, you know, helping people become like Chris Harris in the Navira or Pininfarina, you know, it's much more about the the history of the Italian design and the the design. Yeah company and these sorts of things so it's more maybe more of a lifestyle thing um and uh you know and, and it is it's horses for courses there's 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 niches there for everybody um but it's that i think there's still the question mark over uh exactly what does a a 2000 kilo 2000 horsepower um car actually actually mean to me in in the the, yeah. other, the other thing we're finding we're in certain conversation is that the amount of choices now in the hypercar market uh is well it's never it's never been seen like this before so everybody who's right. in the market for a car can afford whatever car they want pretty much but you've only got so many weekends in your life so um yeah 
you know, you, you've you've got to if you're going to buy five million pound plus cars in a year, you've got to you've got to know that you're either buying it for an investment, you'll park it away, or you're going to use it. And um, uh, yeah, there's, you know, and if 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 you've got cars that you 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 didn't want to park away in a collection and you wanted to use and they're just sitting there, then it's you know there's these guys were as focused on the every dollar as as, as everybody else is. So you've got to make use of your asset at the end of the day. So yeah, and um, it's got to it's got to stand out for some reason. I I I did um actually I saw a video with the Navura yesterday. Um, I can't remember Misha. I don't know you know Misha who's yeah. done some videos at the Nerbo Ring and stuff. Um, and he was driving driving one. And he drove it on track and they were talking through some of the tech in, and he was doing a bit of drifting and stuff. And that you then look at and go, well, I can see this car can do stuff yeah. that normal combustion engine cars can't do. So then you're like, right, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. Um, I did an interview with Thomas uh, Yates from McMurtry. Yeah. And that, so the little downforce, suction thingy yeah. jobber that went up Goodwood Hill super super fast and before talking to him I didn't really understand why it was an interesting mm. car or why it might be an interesting car and then after talking to him about it and some of the benefits of the, the fan basically um, you're like I could see it's very expensive and it's going to be a track only car and they might work a road one over I can see why someone might buy that because no car on the planet can yeah. do two and a half G round a corner at 20 miles an hour at like low speed but this yeah. one can or yeah. it can do naught to 60 in like 1.4 or something you know those sorts of ridiculous yeah, things yeah. there's nothing else that can do that so you go it's really expensive but it has a niche um whereas i feel like the middle end of the market now there's a lot of turbo v8 now v6 they're all pretty good it's kind of like just pick your favorite brand but then yeah that's yeah. about it, really. They're all it's, quite similar. It's, no, yeah, exactly. You've got to have a niche. And when we launched the 12C at McLaren, there was a niche in the supercar market. Um, there wasn't a supercar that was focused on technology and engineering. You know, if you looked mm. at Ferrari, Aston Martin, Lamborghini at the time, they've all they all had their customer base and their niches. But but McLaren came in as this sort of real tech-driven supercar, for better or worse. Um and yeah. and there was its niche, and it's the same with the Behemoth. There's a, there's a niche there for the the car we've delivered, and I think with people like Rimac and McMurtry, uh, for those guys, yeah, they don't need to sell a huge amount of cars. It's it's as much about the business to business side of things, where they're developing a technology, whether it's a plat yeah. platform for electric cars or whether it's the the fan technology. Um, so the cars almost act as a shop window. Now, if they can sell some in, on the side, then that's great. But um, uh, and and long may that last if it if we get Goodwood Festival of Speed Runs like yeah. we had last year. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, we had Max Chilton. We we showed the car the supercar driver secret um end of season yeah. um ball um at the end of last year. We we presented the Behemoth and um uh, Max was there with the with the um McMurtry as well. So that was that was great fun actually having a chat about that. Yeah, it's a it's a funny little thing. Um final question. Five car garage, unlimited value. Uh, take the take the four cars, take the five cars we've already talked about from the previous questions. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, oh God, yeah. Okay, so a Camel Trophy Land Rover, a BMW okay, yeah. M1 CSL, um, 
a I want a first generation Nissan Micra Mint because that's the car I learned to drive in. And okay, nice. um, yeah, I was lucky enough to learn to drive where I lived in South Lincolnshire, where there's lots of straight roads out in the middle of nowhere. With <laughs> so you know, great places to get up to all sorts of tricks. So I, I've, I, whenever yeah, I see, yeah, yeah. I, you never see a mint Nissan first generation Nissan Micra, but whenever no. you occasionally see one that's not mint, and I think that, that and actually, it was a really good little well-engineered car actually it was it was it was good fun yeah. so one of those um top end uh, oh. I, i've got a, a soft spot for lamborghini at the moment i don't know what it is but okay. um Something, we were yeah. we were at a dealer in germany recently and there was a there was a sort of kermit green Really nice for a can, and uh, it's it's daft because I don't fit in them. But there's just some. I think they're they're <laughs> they're a car of a moment at the mo now. You know, we'll, we'll probably never see the likes of these things again. I think Lamborghini have done an amazing job the last yeah. few years, actually. So, um, I think so. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Um, yeah. Some one more. Some some terrible big um, naughty pickup truck, probably. Say a Rivian. <laughs> have a Rivian in there. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, your your thing about the micro, it, it's so funny how we have these like memories based around certain cars and then you see another one and it flashes back. Yeah. Like I have this with Citroen C1s. You see them everywhere. But yeah. I did a 24, I've done a couple actually, 24-hour races in them. And I look at that car completely differently now. I'm like, that that's fun. That's fun on a track. Like, <laughs> I, I, it. I, I was driving that micro... Um, I lived in a town called Spalding in South Lincolnshire and I had a couple of friends lived in a little town called Crowland, which was about 10 miles further south. And it was, it was, yeah. there was a road off. It wasn't the main road. There was a back road, the B1063 that went along <laughs> the big, the, the, the drain in Lincolnshire have these big drains, you know, which are deadly because yeah. they're just steep sides down into water at the bottom. I mean, awful places nice. if you yeah. crash, but that was half of the fun. You you would drive along the B one zero six three, lots of straights with then kinks to go down. <laughs> so that was as that that's what the micro reminds me of. And it, it was you know we had a fast you know top gear board leaderboard on who could oh, nice, drive from nice. one to the other fastest. <laughs> I mean it's you know God, it's awful when you think about if you've got a seventeen year old, eighteen year old kid who's driving a car at the moment, you don't want to oh, think yeah. about things like this. But um, it's, yeah. it's when you look no at harm done. you know the stats stats on driving for young people and then you think back to driving when you're young and you're like yeah that makes sense like well, young people are idiots you couldn't do spalding to crawland any faster in a praga behema i'm sure than i could do in my nissan micro yeah. in the day so it's a <laughs> <No>. good memories <laughs> right but well, i don't i don't advocate much, speeding but... of course on the road so <laughs> no, don't do it kids um yeah well thanks very much for coming on the podcast that's no, absolute pleasure Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.